This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. everybody and welcome to fruit loop season three episode 29 can you believe we're still here i know <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have almost a hundred episodes i don't know if we should wow. celebrate that at some point but anyway I, thank yeah, you guys. when we hit a hundred yeah <laughs> yeah thank you so much for listening fruit loops yeah. is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight white dudes no man ah! there are many no it's true <laughs> There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. And and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion or by joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website. And, you know, after this week, I've been thinking, I should just buy my mom her own mug. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Good idea. 
Yeah. If you cannot help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. So, yeah. Beth, who are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Mayupa Cedric Make, also known as the Wemmerpan Killer, a South African serial killer who committed at least 27 murders throughout 1996 and 97. So a very short period of time. Oh, yes. He was on fire. He was on a roll. Yeah, he was. Before we get to it, uh, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, as you know, we've been planning some fun things for the Fruit Loops pod squad, and uh, we're just hoping they come to fruition. So, uh, yeah. Are. Add us to the prayer list. Yeah. Um, me, I am good. I had a nice day off. We, uh, I got to hang out with my girl, Beth, my yeah. favorite, the best white lady in the game. <laughs> Give her a hip hop air horn. <laughs> yeah, we had super fun. <laughs> we did. So a, a little behind the scenes, Beth and I are both in Arizona, but we literally live like 45 minutes away from each other. So we record remotely. We don't see each other. We don't touch each other. It's, it's all like, I just hear her she hears me and that's it and we just talk and um we recorded something fun this week and we were in person and um it was just really cool to be in the same room yeah uh, it was really fun yeah and we got silly hey hey so it was fun <laughs> so now we're gonna dive into some listener let er er ers Angels are here. Hello, angels. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's in the bag, Beth? So, I wanted to say congrats to Burn and Angel or Angel for winning the patron merch draws for January and February. Uh, you'll be getting your merch soon. So, yeah, uh, I I finally got my shit together. So, I'm going to order those <laughs> like tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, it's on its way sooner or later. Yeah. It'll get there. <laughs> and I also wanted to uh, mention that we got a comment on Podbean. Um, I didn't write down who it was from, so I apologize. But it said, I love Bethy and Weth, but did we forget that combined, you two can be bendy? <laughs> oh, yes, we can. Guess who won most flexible in high school? <laughs> this gal. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that that is our combo name for sure, Bendy. I think so too. Hashtag Bendy. Start it now. Make it a worldwide trending topic. Um, so uh, we also got some two new patrons I wanted to shout out shout out this week. Uh, so to Eval Moria, thank you God for ya hip hop air horns. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And also to Aaron Switzer, our sister from another Mista. Hip hop air horns, yes, yeah, ma'am. So thank you all thank so much for both. supporting the show. Yes, um, yeah. and all of our current patrons who are keeping the show going, um, we just really, really appreciate y'all. We sure um, do. So now we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to get into the story when we come back. Hi, I'm Kiara. And I'm JV. And we're the hosts of Crime and Color, a true crime podcast that focuses on people of color. This podcast isn't only about serial killers or murderers, but it's also about forgotten victims who never got their stories told, people who survived impossible odds, the wrongfully convicted, as well as the monsters you may not have heard about. 
Every week, JV and I share with you an interesting case that has caught our attention in a hope to bring awareness to their stories or just share something unbelievable with a bit of witty commentary. (laughs) You can check out Crime in Color on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you're feeling chatty, you can talk to us on Twitter as well, at Crime in Color. Thanks for tuning in! And we're back. Uh, so, Beth, uh, why don't you introduce our subject? Okay, so today we're going to be talking about Mayupa Cedric Make, also known as the Wemmerpan Killer. And he committed at least 27 murders throughout 1996 and 1997. Make did not discriminate in that he killed people of any race, age, and sex. Mm -hmm. He also had five different MOs. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Something else that I wanted to mention is that one of the sources that we used for this story is a book by Mickey Pistorius, a South African forensic psychologist. And her nephew is Oscar Pistorius, the same Oscar Pistorius who was an Olympic sprinter and who was found guilty of the 2013 murder of his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. I saw that and I was I I, or I heard that in one of the sources and I was like, wait a minute, Pistorius. The guy with yeah. no legs? Yep. That's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's wild. Isn't that nuts? And yeah. his aunt is a forensic psychologist. <laughs> out and here. he that's... committed murder. <laughs> wow. just, it's so weird. Did you think he did it? I didn't think he did it. Well, he did. He did kill her. But um, whether or but not it was... But he thought that it was an intruder. He said he thought it was an intruder. Yeah, but it, I don't know. I can't say that I know for sure 100% that he did it or not, but it was it was pretty suspicious, I have to say. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But um I don't know. I was I was I I'm always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of I the doubt. Yeah. I loved Pistorius so much cuz he was this guy he was from Africa, even though he's one of the white Africans, which we'll get into that that wasn't always that a good kind of thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the adversity that he had to overcome, I just thought, oh, no, there's no way he could do something so bad on purpose. Um, anyway, yeah. he's not who we're talking about today. <laughs> today, we're talking about Cedric Make, a.k.a. the Wemmerpan Killer, who was a black South African man. And he was born... Ooh, uh, uh, I didn't do the sound effect. We're getting into stats. <laughs> now, he was born in 1965. His crimes took place from 1996 to 1997 in the state of Guantag. Johannesburg is within the state of Guateng. And uh, boy, oh boy, did he get a lot done in one year. He was yep. He had more than 27 victims. And given that we like to put some shine on all of the victims and the survivors left in their wake to do them justice. Um, we need to break this episode into two parts. So right. um, I hope you can forgive us for that. But by the way, for context, um, apartheid is a big part of uh, South African history. It's also part of American history, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, it ended in 1994 and uh, he 
himself, Mr. Maki, was apprehended in December of 1997 and is still in prison because he has a hell of a sentence, a whopping yeah. thir- 1,340 years. But is it enough? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you decide. Uh, now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. So the setting is Johannesburg, South Africa. In formerly known as Josie or Joburg, it's the largest city in South Africa and one of the largest urban areas in the world. Johannesburg is located in Gauteng, one of nine provinces in South Africa, and it is its wealthiest. Although it is also the smallest province, it is the most populous with approximately 15 million people. Now, the name Guateng is derived from the Bantu language, uh, name of Guata, meaning gold. And by the way, um, one uh, style that uh, women of color might wear, um, think of uh, Jada Pinkett Smith in the first Matrix movie is these Bantu knots, which I wear on occasion in order to curl my dreads. This has been dreadlock corner with (laughs) Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) But but Bantu knots come from this region in Africa. And uh, Black women or women of color um, carry this style to this day. So when I hear the word Bantu, that's what I think of. That's what you think of. Mm -hmm. Johannesburg was established in 1886 following the discovery of gold on what had been a farm. Within 10 years, the population had grown to 100,000 inhabitants, but most of them were colonizers. Yeah, yeah, because they wanted that gold. Yeah. Soweto, which was a separate city from the late 1970s until 1994, is now a part of Johannesburg. Originally an acronym for Southwestern Townships, Soweto originated as a collection of settlements on the outskirts of Johannesburg, populated mostly by Native African workers from the gold mining industry. Soweto had been separated as a residential area for Black people uh, who were not permitted to live in Johannesburg proper. The town Lanassia, located south of Soweto, is is predominantly populated by English-speaking South Africans of Indian descent. These areas were designated as non-white areas in accordance with the segregationist policies of the South African government known as apartheid. Apartheid, the Afrikaans' term for separateness, was a system of institutionalized racism implementing racial segregation in South Africa and Southwest Africa, now Namibia, from 1948 until the early 1990s. And apartheid was characterized by an authoritarian political culture based on Baskap, or um, white supremacy, which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population, which in an entire continent of Black people is so fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) According to this system, white citizens had the highest status. Surprise! (laughs) Boy, white people really show their cards. (laughs) Yeah, they really do. Uh, So followed in descending order by Asians, coloreds, which was the legal definition in South African law for mixed race, and then finally, black Africans. Um, And uh, Trevor Noah is a famous... um, gentleman from South Africa. He's a comedian Mm -hmm. and host of The Daily Show. And uh, he has a book called Born a Crime. Um, And literally, it was criminal for white people to mix with black 
people and um, produce children. Right. And uh, he talks about how when he was born, he was literally literally a crime and his dad wasn't allowed to live with them. Oh, wow. But anyway, uh, apartheid was adopted as a formal policy by the South African government after the ascension of the National Party, an Afrikaner ethnic nationalist party founded in 1914 that promoted Afrikaner interests in South Africa during the 1948 general elections. Afrikaners were white South Africans descended from Dutch colonizers, and most Afrikaners supported the notion and unanimity of white people ostensibly to ensure their safety. And by the way, uh, we'll talk about Nelson Mandela in a little bit, but I remember uh, a documentary about Nelson Mandela in which uh, they interviewed um, a white woman who had worked in the government, and she was an Afrikaner woman, so a white South African woman, and she was nervous about working for Nelson Mandela. And Nelson Mandela learned Africanus to try to let these white people know, like, I'm not here to hurt you or threaten you or take anything away from you. I'm here to work with you. And she was just so taken aback by the fact that he took the effort to learn her language, speak it to her, and sort of ease her uh, nervousness with regard to having a Black guy come in as her boss who... Wow. Had every reason to be very hateful and angry at her. Yeah. So. Yeah. And white people are so scared all the time. Not all white people, but, you know, these kind of white people. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand and what they're so scared I, of. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's still a mystery to me. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But anyway. But anyway, yeah. Black people were not allowed to run businesses or professional practices in areas designated as white South Africa unless they had a permit. They were required to move to the black quote unquote homelands and set up businesses and practices there. Um, And I think of a, a, a Denzel Washington movie where he plays a, a black South African and he's living in one of these essential. It's, it's like reservations um, right. and um, just how destitute these people are and they're drinking to sort of escape um, the realities of, of, of the life that they're living in. And it was very, uh, I, I didn't realize um, how just bad it was. Uh, yeah. Bad it was. Uh, so residential areas were also segregated and blacks were only allowed to live in white areas if employed as a servant. And even then only in servant quarters, black people were excluded from working in white areas unless they had a pass and being without a valid pass made a person subject to arrest and trial for being an illegal migrant. Each black homeland controlled its own education, health and police systems. Black people were not allowed to buy hard liquor. They were only able to buy state produced poor quality beer, although this law was relaxed later. Public beaches, swimming pools, some pedestrian bridges, drive-in cinema parking spaces, graveyards, parks, and public toilets were segregated. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, segregation is so, stu- so stupid. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I just, I will never, ever understand it. Um, anyway, cinemas and theaters in white areas were not allowed to admit black people. And there were uh, practically no cinemas in black areas. Most restaurants and hotels in white areas were not allowed to admit black people except as staff. Black people were prohibited from attending white churches, but this was never rigidly enforced and churches were one of the few places races could mix. And um, I wanted to say that a lot of the sources use the term blacks. 
And black people hear that and are like, what's a black? (laughs) We're people. (laughs) And so I just wanted to point out the term blacks comes from a lot of the sources, but that's not a term that um, Beth and I endorse. Black people are people, not blacks, because that's a crayon in a Crayola box. (laughs) Black people could never acquire land in white areas. In the homelands, much of the land belonged to the tribe, where the local chieftain would decide how the land had to be used. This resulted in white people owning almost all the industrial, agricultural, and residential land. Um, By the way, there's so many tangents. Um, There is an epidemic in South Africa, sort of this war amongst farmers, white farmers versus black farmers. And white people are coming in and trying to take the land from the black farmers and vice versa. Um, And so this sort of war over land is not dead. It's 2020 and it's still happening. Still going on. Still going on. Uh, that that white supremacy bug just doesn't want to seem to to die. Uh, anyway, <laughs> trains, hospitals, and ambulances were also segregated because of the smaller numbers of white patients and the fact that white doctors preferred to work in white hospitals. Conditions in white hospitals were far better than those in often overcrowded and understaffed, significantly underfunded black hospitals. Nelson Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary and political leader who was repeatedly arrested for sedition. Although initially committed to nonviolent protest, in 1961, he co-founded the militant Amkanto Wisizwe, the armed wing of the African National Congress, or ANC. And when we say militant, I think <laughs> I have I take issue with the fact that we call aggressive bees, Africanized bees or um, militant <laughs> back, black groups, um, which yeah. are just groups. They're not necessarily violent. They're just fighting for something vehemently. And so right. they and defending themselves in the in the event that that is necessary. So they weren't out like attacking white people. Um, but they were they did do some sabotage, so they were not committed to nonviolent protest. Okay, okay, all right, I'll take it. Uh, its mission was to fight against the South African government, which had really fucked these people over. So. Yes, yes, well deserved. Uh, they had reason uh, to be angry. Yeah. You know, it's not like they just thought, "Oh, this sounds like fun." You know, that right. no, they were fighting for their lives. Yes, their lives and their rights. And beginning in 1961, they led sab- a sabotage campaign against the government. Mandela was arrested and imprisoned in 1962, and then he served 27 years in prison. Amid growing domestic and international pressure, and with the fears of a racial civil war, in 1990, President F.W. de Klerk lifted the ban on the ANC and other Black liberation parties, allowing freedom of the press and releasing political prisoners. And Nelson Mandela was released from prison on February 11th, 1990. So they were like, uh-oh, these Black people yeah. kind of have a point, and uh-oh, <laughs> yeah. they're getting some power, uh- Oh, everything's going to go to shit. <laughs> like when I could say, oopsies, yeah, I whoopsies. milk. Yeah. A little, uh, we, we spilled a little white supremacy over here. Let me clean that up for you. <laughs> so the, the apartheid system was ended 
through a series of negotiations between 1990 and 1993 and through unilateral steps by the clerk government. And I was always wondering, because I was in fourth or fifth grade when apartheid ended. And I right. was just baffled by the fact that this was still was happening. And still why going on. Yeah. Are American presidents saying anything or are American officials like or maybe they were. And I wasn't I didn't know I wasn't watching C-SPAN. It was a big deal back then. There was a lot of controversy, a lot of talking about it. You know, it, really? it was okay. like Im- immigration now, you know. OK. OK. Because yeah. my news consisted of news on Nickelodeon, which was really only five well, yeah, minutes. Yeah, you were you were a kid, yeah. so you so, you wouldn't know exactly yeah. what was going on. Yeah. So um so that see see multi-generational perspectives, everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um so Mandela then served as the president of South Africa from nineteen ninety four to nineteen ninety nineteen ninety-nine. He was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election. His government focused on dismantling the legacy of apartheid by tackling institutionalized racism and fostering racial reconciliation. But the economic legacy and social effects of apartheid continue to the present day. And uh, in the 80s. <laughs> let me hear. Let me hear. OK, so I, I was uh, at a party once in the 80s, uh, probably the late 80s. I don't really remember. But I remember there was this white guy from South Africa at the party. And uh, back in the 80s, uh, you get a few drinks in me and I could get uh, kind of confrontational. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I had a little bit of Brita from community in me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love that white girl. <laughs> She's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was very anti-apartheid and I got into a discussion with this guy. And uh, he was complaining that the black people in South Africa would not be able to rule because they were ignorant. And I was like, yeah, guess whose fault that is? I mean, bitch. (laughs) Oh, man, he was so mad at me. (laughs) Hey, the truth. The truth hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, there was a bunch of people around because I'm pretty sure he wanted to kick my ass. Um, Beth, I just feel like you deserve some hip hop air horns. Um, and whoa, hold this beer while she removes her shoes, earrings and her wig because she's coming for you. Uh, this is why she's on my list of favorite white ladies. Anyway. <laughs> when it com- when it comes to serial killers, the U.S. wins. USA, 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 USA. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're good at a lot of things, but we're not really good at the really good things. Yeah, we're like serial last murder. In- we're good at yeah serial murder. We're last in education, but like first in like guns and um oh yeah, yeah military. Yeah, that's all again. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm so proud of us. Anyway, uh, with two thousand seven hundred forty three documented serial killers. England is second with 145 serial killers and South Africa is third with 112 serial killers. And we had trying uh, we had a hard time finding like a per capita or per person numbers, so we did our own rough estimate based on population. And per our rough estimates, look, we say in the beginning of the show we're unqualified. So, yeah, don't, and I'm don't not like I'm not a mathematician, so <laughs> yeah. I, I the best I could. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So there is in the U.S., one serial killer per every 119 or 120,000 people. In England, it's one serial 
serial killer per 466,000 people. And for South Africa, it's one serial killer per um, 527,000 people. But look, don't quote us. We're not yeah. qualified. <laughs> According to Dr. Mike Amott, a forensic psychology professor at Radford University, the U.S. doesn't really have a disproportionate number of serial killers. It's just much easier to find serial killers here than it is in other countries. But I don't know if I believe Mm. that. And also there are lots of unknown serial killers out there. According to one article that I that talked about Samuel Little, modern life has made it in in some ways easier for serial killers to get away with their crimes. And they gave the example. Terrifying. Yeah. They gave an example, something we have talked about before of truck drivers who kidnap and kill a victim in one state and then dispose of their bodies in another state. So, you know, vehicles can make it easier for a serial killer to So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. and. Give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruitlands HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And now 
Now, I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying, sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's BetterHelp.com slash fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We'd just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ. And then what? Well, while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is I'm on level 393. Right on. Yes, it sounds incredible. But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store, one thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm-hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Getaway with murder. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh my, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, we could, uh, sorry, if I was a serial killer, put a body on a train and then what? Oh, and then what? (laughs) Wow. You know what? In my next life. So, (laughs) and murderers in general get away with their crimes about 40% of the time. Uh, due to lower clearance rates. In 1965, the U.S. homicide clearance rate was 91%. And clearance rate really just means that um, they arrested somebody. Doesn't right. mean the person they arrested Doesn't was actually guilty. Doesn't mean the guilty party, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, but by 2017, it had dropped to 61%. Uh, my boy Bloomberg uh just kidding. He's not my boy. Might say that that's great. Um, one of the lowest rates in the Western world. Some experts believe that serial killers are responsible for a significant number of these unsolved murders. In any case, South Africa is a little bit of a hotbed for serial killers. According to the L.A. Times in 1997, South Africa had the industrialized world's highest reported rates of murder and rape. Many people, including President Nelson Mandela, 
accused the police force of corruption and incompetence. But many experts blame the crime rate on the culture of violence and gender during the bitter struggle against institutionalized white oppression. And, uh, you know, that's what happens when you oppress people. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to it's it's not going to be good <laughs> later no, on down the no, line. It's not, not going to be I, good. I wonder if these experts and Mandela are both right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I think um, that's both, I think both, both true. Absolutely be true. Yep. Yeah. 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 So now we're going to dive into the killer's early life. And guess what? We don't know a whole lot uh, <laughs> about Cedric Mackey's early life. He was born on September 10th, 1963 in Limpompo. Um, Mackey claims that when he was 12 years old, he had uh, to undergo his uh, traditional initiation um, where many African tribes have initiation ceremonies that expect young boys who are coming of age to undergo so they'll stay in the the jungle or the the woods for like um a few days or a few weeks and try to survive but i think mackie might have said that his his initiation lasted a few months so anyway yeah yeah so the ceremonies differ from tribe to tribe and some are expected to prove their manhood by surviving on their own in the bush for a period of time and according to make he was forced to live in the bush on his own for three months without food or water and he mm-hmm. described his treatment as barbaric. But uh, I, I kind of wonder if uh, he exaggerated a little bit uh, because... I wonder too. Yeah, because um, I, I was reading about the... Uh, they have schools, initiation schools that they send these kids to. And f- for like three weeks... You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not for months. And and part of the initiation ceremony is to go out and live in, in the bush for a few days, but not the mm-hmm. entire three weeks that they're there. So I, I don't know. Right. It seems like an exaggeration. And uh, I never believe these guys anyway. I think they're all liars. So, <laughs> Come on. so but it could be true. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. That's just what he's said. So that's what he said. Um, But Cedric's father passed away when he was in the 10th grade, um, and polygamy is common in many African cultures, and Mackie's mother, Malik Golo, uh, had been one of two wives to Mackie's father. And after Mackie's father died, his second wife and her children took most of the inheritance, and Cedric and his mother were left destitute. Cedric later said that he hated his father for leaving them in such a state. He had to leave school to get a job to help care for his family. So he moved to Johannesburg to look for work and he became a plumber. And his employers had kind words for him and said that they trusted him. Cedric got married and had four children in Limpompo. Early on in their marriage, Mackie's wife had been unfaithful and Mackie found out uh, when she had encounters with other men. They were always in Wemmer, Pan, in that area. And in 1996, Mackie was 33 years old and living in La Rochelle, Johannesburg, where he also had a girlfriend, a side piece, if you will. So now we're going to dive into the timeline. And as we said, there are so many crimes and we want to pay uh, respect to the victims and um, cover these as accurately as we can. So, again, this is a two parter. Yeah. So buckle up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
on December 28, 1996, Antonio Alfonso, who was working in a cafe in Rosettenville, a suburb of Johannesburg, was attacked by a man with a hammer. The attacker stole 400 rand, which is the South African dollar, from the cash register and then fled. Antonio survived the attack. And I should say that before this uh, 1996 time, there are no early crimes right. by um, Cedric. Mocking, he was, yeah. yeah, he was an upstanding citizen. And then all of a sudden, crime, 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 crime. Here yep. comes his crime appetite. One after another. One after the other. Man. So a week later, on January 6th, 1997, Mackey entered Megan Kanaji's tailor shop in Jepstown, another sur- suburb of Johannesburg. Mackey told the 78-year-old tailor that he was a plumber and he needed to buy a secondhand pair of trousers to use for work. Kanaji found a pair in Maki's size. As the old man was bagging the trousers for him, Maki suddenly struck Kanji in the left eye with a wrench. After the man fell to the ground, Maki continued to strike him. Kanji woke up in the hospital, but he never completely recovered from his severe head injuries. And Maki stole five pairs of trousers from the shop. So on uh, January 8th, two days later, 1997, Mackey went to a butcher shop in Troyville, yet another suburb of Johannesburg. There he bludgeoned Kenny Chan with a hammer and stole cash from the cash register. Uh, But luckily, Chan survived. On January 17th, 1997, Maki went to another tailor shop, this time in Dornfontein, an inner city suburb of Johannesburg. Maki told 56-year-old Kantilal Lutchman that he needed alterations done on two pairs of trousers, and he waited while Lutchman did the alterations. So I guess now you could call him the the Taylor killer, <laughs> yeah. An a- another AKA. Um, yeah. He then asked to purchase a pair of shoes and uh, lay by and lay by allows the purchaser to put down a deposit. So it's like lay away, then uh, take the item and then pay the rest in installments. It's different from layaway in that you can take the item. Uh, when, when you put something on layaway, you pay for the item. And once it's paid off, then you can take it. Oh, I didn't realize there was a difference. I thought it was the same thing, too. So I had to Google it because because, uh, yeah, <laughs> Walmart would be in big trouble if they did laybys. No. <laughs> uh, so Mackey put down a deposit and, and gave the name of Patrick Moena. Mackey then told Lutchman that the head of his hammer was loose and he needed it repaired. Lutchman told him how to get to a nearby hardware store. Mackey left, had his hammer repaired, and then returned to the tailor shop telling Lutchman that he wanted to purchase some underwear. When Lutchman turned around to get the underwear, Mackey attacked him with the hammer that he had just had repaired. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he stole Lutchman's wallet and he left the hammer behind. Oh my God. I know. Lutchman had several skull fractures and he suffered a stroke, but uh, he did survive. Whew. So um, at this point, he's it, like, maybe he is trying to kill the people, but he's not successfully killing anybody. He's just right. attacking and robbing. Yeah. Um. So on January 22nd, 1997, Mackey attacked Abdul Bulia in his shop in the Johannesburg inner city suburb of Newtown. He again came in as a customer and attacked Bulbulia with a hammer while his back was turned. He stole Bulbulia's wallet and 600 rand, which is South African currency, and Bulbulia survived. 
On January 23, 1997, Make attacked Don Suklal Patel with a hammer while he was alone in his shop in downtown Johannesburg. Make stole his wallet and fled the scene. Unfortunately, in this case, the victim did not survive. Patel was rushed to the hospital, but he died the same day. So um, Patel is, is an example of a Maki killing outside of his race. I think Patel is a Southeast Asian um, right. individual. So um, sometime in February 1997, Hassan Ahmad was attacked with a hammer in the store where he worked in Fordsburg, another suburb of Johannesburg. The attacker fled with 200 rand and Hassan survived. On February 26, 1997, David Sadka was attacked with a hammer in a pawn shop in the Johannesburg suburb of Yeovil. His wallet and credit cards were stolen, but he did survive the attack. Uh, the next day, just after 8 a.m., 63-year-old Amart Lale Gopal was beaten with a hammer at City Shoe Repairs in Johannesburg. His wallet was stolen. And Gopal survived, but he had brain damage and couldn't remember anything. Reports were that two men were present when he was attacked, but I'm not sure how they know that if um, he couldn't remember anything. But I mean, if you can remember stuff before, you know, right. uh, the lights go out. I mean, I don't I know. Was this, I was assuming that when they said he couldn't remember anything, it included, I mean, everything. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like what, his first uh, name? Well, um, when I was in school, in college, I was sitting outside of a building and this girl rode by on a bicycle and she uh, fell. Like the mm -hmm. bicycle, I, I'm not even sure exactly what happened, but she fell off the bike and she hit her head on the concrete. And mm -hmm. uh, I went and held her head. So because she she was like moaning and lifting up her head and then it would slam back down into the concrete. And uh, so I didn't want her to hurt herself anymore. So I I was holding her head and somebody else uh, ran and called 911 and the ambulance came and, and then she was gone. And somehow I found out which hospital she was in and uh, I just went to visit her. I don't know. It Jesus, just, Beth, you it do it again. You pop air horn. <laughs> it, it really affected Jesus. me because, you know, I, I saw the whole thing and so it really affected me. So I just wanted to see her in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I went to see her, <laughs> sorry, that was for you. <laughs> when I went to see her, um, she said, she told me that um, she couldn't remember anything from that day. Like she remembered the day oh. before, but she couldn't remember anything. She couldn't remember like getting up in the morning. She couldn't mm -hmm. remember anything from that day. So I was assuming that this was like a similar thing when they said he couldn't remember anything like. Well, memory is a funny thing, isn't, isn't it? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I, I, <laughs> I couldn't I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, <laughs> uh, you know, or. Yeah. I, know, I, I mean, it's possible that he remembers two men coming into the store, but it's also possible that he remembered two men coming into the store the day prior and he thought it was that day. I don't I don't know. I don't know. It just yeah, seems weird to me that there was two men in this one. But in, in any case. Okay. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, um, what's that guy? Keith Morrison. Can you interview this guy? Yes, Keith Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> and on March 26th, no, I, can't do, I can't do impressions. I suck. 
Oh my God. It's I live for impressions. I don't think I could do an impression of you though. No, no, no. I don't think okay. so. I, I don't, I don't have it down yet. Yeah. But give me some time. Okay. I, I can't do an impression of you cause I suck at impressions. Oh, <laughs> and the accents I and... impre- oh my God. <laughs> me and my brother. So my, my, so I have Central American family and like my grandmother had an accent. My mom says shit weird. My dad was a regular, like a regular black guy. And he would always, he would always say like the weirdest thing. So me and my brother would just, me and my brothers would do impressions do, like, of him. Hour, hours long impressions of my dad. Like, oh, Wendy, oh, what the hell are you doing over there? Wendy, that don't make no damn sense. Oh, Wendy, you are so ridiculous. Wendy, I told you specifically. My dad always said specifically. 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 Yeah. Wendy, right. I told you specifically to pick up the stuff on your damn floor. Wendy, you know, I mean, and we would just go back and forth. Oh, man, it was so fun. I still do it to this day. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good at Sorry. that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, back to the story. Yeah, sorry. Um, oh, no, that's fine. I went off on a tangent, too. So uh, mm-hmm. this was a month later after that uh, attack on March 26, 1997. Lopit Law survived a hammer attack in a butcher shop in the Johannesburg suburb of Vedradorp. 900 Rand was stolen. And then on April 22nd, so another month later, 1997, Maki attacked Yogi Dedra with a hammer while Dedra was assisting him in a shop. But Dedra fought back and Maki fled the shop, leaving behind a bag of clothes and some shoes. Dedra later sold the clothing and shoes, so police couldn't collect it as evidence. And uh, I wanted to mention the lady on the podcast, South African True Crime, seemed mystified by the fact that Deidre sold the clothes. And it's my thought that Deidre probably didn't even report the crime until later. And the reason why is probably because he did not trust the police. Yeah. And we've talked about this on the show before, but I I can't imagine it's that different in South Africa, given its history. Mm -hmm. Um, People of color just don't don't trust law enforcement um, right. to do the right thing or to protect them. And um, to me, that doesn't sound unusual at all. Yeah. Um, so these first 11 incidents would later be called the Hammer Series. As you can see, Maki was working in different suburbs. So the incidents were being investigated by different detectives, different precincts in Johannesburg and were not yet connected to each other. Beginning in April 1997, Maki began what was later termed the uh, quote-unquote Wemmerpan series. And I find these it funny because it reminds me of like artists, famous artists. So this is the Wemmerpan series. <laughs> it's like uh, Picasso's Blue series. You know, this is Maki's Wemmerpan series. <laughs> Oh, oh, you know, you're the educated artist. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, pretend like I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyway, Wemmerpan is a lake and recreational area in Johannesburg. And Pan is the Afrikaans word for a shallow lake. So basically it translates to Wemmer Lake. It's located in the south of Johannesburg city center in the suburb of La Rochelle. 
On April 27, 1997, Elijah Lashwayo and Eunice Nicosa Ponzi were at Wemmer Pan, parked in Elijah's car over, overlooking the lake. Sounds romantic. Maki just came up and shot Elijah in the back of the head, stole his wallet and gun, then forced Eunice at gunpoint to a nearby mine dump where he shot and killed her too. When Eunice's body was found, they could not determine whether or not she had been raped. The very same night, Maki came across another woman who he raped and bludgeoned to death with a rock. And this victim was never identified. That is awful. Yeah. Um, a month later, Maki changed his MO again and began attacking taxi drivers. So this is his third MO, which was later called the Taxi Series. On May 25th, 1997, Maki took a taxi driven by Sipo Nadima to an area near Wemmer Pan. When uh, Maki got out, he went to the driver's window, held a gun to the driver's head, and robbed him of 300 rand. He then shot him several times, but miraculously, Nadima survived. Sometime in June 1997, Maki got into the taxi of Michael McKizzy. When they reached their destination near Wemmerpan, Maki robbed McKizzy at gunpoint. He took his watch, shoes, and wallet. He then shot Michael several times, but Michael survived. Uh, on June 14th, 1997, Maki went back to attacking couples when he attacked Ralph Ngainwa, who was 49, and Christina Mashigo, who was 42, at Wemmerpan. Uh, Mackie shot Ralph twice in the back of the head. When Ralph was found, he was still alive, but he died before paramedics could get to him or, or get him to the hospital. Not far from the scene, Christina's body was found and she had been raped and shot to death. On June 16th, 1997, Maki changed his MO once again mm. when he began attacking random people on the streets. Dora Dladla was jogging in the Crown Mines area when she was attacked by Maki. He raped her and then shot her dead. Gosh, this was just two days later. And then three days after this, on June 21st, 1997. Is that three days? Oh, no. It's a... I'm not good at math. About a week later. I don't know. Later, yeah. Uh, Santi Mahakoni was walking with his two female friends near Wemmer Pan when Mackie approached them and started a conversation. Without warning, he pulled out his gun and shot Mahakoni. The two women ran from the scene as Mackie stole Mahakoni's ID book and 20 rand and his shoes. A South African ID book looks like a passport and proves your identity. And Mahakoni died. On July 11th, 1997, Mackie again returned to attacking couples at Wemmer Pan. Jerry Nadu and his girlfriend were sitting in Jerry's car at Wemmer Pan when Maki approached and asked Jerry if he could show him how to use his cell phone. When Jerry rolled down his window, Maki shot him in the stomach and chest. Jesus. He then stole Jerry's wallet and dragged Charlotte out of the car, beating her with his gun. He robbed her of her leather jacket, glasses, and watch. He got Charlotte to flag down a taxi, and when one stopped, she got inside, slammed the door, and escaped. Ooh, shout out to you, sis. Yeah. On July 12, 1997, Moses Ramothloa, 35, and Dorcas Makatsani, 26, were at Wemmerpan when Maki attacked them. He shot Moses twice in the back, killing him. He then stole Moses' wallet and forced Dorcas to walk with him towards an area where there was tree cover. While they were walking, they passed a man, and Maki told Dorcas that the man was his partner. Whether the man was actually Maki's partner or not is not known, but uh, my guess is probably not. He probably just used the opportunity to scare Dorcas into silence when they passed him. 
Which is really quick thinking on a part of the Wemmerpan killer. But like, um, obviously, he's really good at thinking on his feet, right? And very daring. I'm thinking of so many careers that he could have done. He could have gone into not not serial killing. Yeah. But then again, maybe because of apartheid and lack of opportunity for a black South African, maybe robbing was his only way. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, when they reached the area with the tree cover, Mackie forced Dorcas to undress and raped her. He then gave her money to get a taxi home and tried to arrange a date with her. As Dorcas left, he called after her asking if she was going to be going to Moses's funeral. Sometime after this incident, the Wemmer Pan series was coordinated into one investigation. Finally, you messy ass hoes, <laughs> headed by Captain Piet Bieleved. And you'll be hearing his name again. On July 16th, 1997, Stanley Kolobe and Emily Madiba were parked in the car when Maki approached them. He forced them to get out of the car and then forced them to have sex with each other while he watched. He stole Stanley's wallet and then had the couple get dressed and walk them into the tree cover nearby. Stanley made a run for it and managed to get away, but Maki raped Emily and then shot her before stealing her leather jacket and watch. Emily did survive, and I hope that she broke up with Stanley because he just ran away. Mm, yes. Um, uh, I wanted to say the name Madiba is also what the people would call Nelson Mandela. It was a term of endearment. Oh. Um, so they would Do you know what it Madiba. means? Um, let me see what Googleisha says. Um, the meaning is deeper than a surname and is used as a sign of respect and affection. The origin of Madiba comes from a chief who ruled in the 18th century, according to the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Madiba would be used in an intimate context. Um, anyway, it's a term of endearment. I guess it has to do with a, an old African an chief. Older. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. So, um, on July eighteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, just two days later, Mackie killed five people in one goddamn day, and two different mo's, and three separate incidents. Whew. His first two victims on this day were the twenty-five-year-old Samuel Molemi and his girlfriend uh, Catherine Luquani, also twenty-five. Mackie approached the couple as they were walking along the street and demanded Samuel's wallet. Samuel was shot three times in the head and Mackie shot Catherine in the knee. He then dragged her into the bushes where he raped her uh, twice before fleeing. Jesus. Later the same day, he attacked David Duplessis and Sarah Lenkpane as they were walking, just walking down the street. He shot and killed David before raping Sarah and then shooting and killing her too. And he stole David's shoes. Um, I guess we'll find out in uh, uh, the part two of this, like what he did with all of the items that he stole. All the like, shoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all, the, all, all these, these shoes, shoes, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, interesante. Yeah. So same day, different street. Martin Stander was 19 and Leilani Van Wick was 15. They were pulled over on the side of the road to have a cigarette before Martin took Leilani home. They'd spent the evening at a nightclub where Martin was a DJ. Mackie walked up to Martin and shot him in the head. He then raped Leilani before killing her also. He stole their clothing and jewelry and Leilani was Mackie's youngest victim. Again, she was only 15. 15. Yeah, pretty sad. 
And uh, unfortunately, this is where we will have to leave it for today. Uh, and tune in next week when we'll talk about Maki's further crimes, the investigation, and his eventual arrest. Yes, ma'am. I can't wait. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So um, let's talk about how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode, and then we'll just offer up generic tips. And this is one of those instances where this these tips have nothing to do with this particular episode. We are just offering up some generic tips. So for those of you online dating, be cautious. Online is the number one way people meet each other these, these days. It turns out there are a staggering amount of sexual predators and convicted rapists on these dating apps. Um, and Match.com and Tinder, Tinder only recently agreed to screen for sex offenders. So um, they got a lot of splendid to do, but I guess that's better than nothing. So if you connect with somebody on an app, ask for their last name. So you can Google and social media research them. And if they give you a hard time, red flag. Uh, (laughs) Don't give them don't give them your phone number until after the date. So if shit goes south, they can't like stalk you. Um, Obviously, meet somewhere that is public and tell a friend or a loved one where you are going and who with. If you meet at a bar, pay your bill as soon as your drink comes so that you can 
duck out right away if if you need to so you don't have to like worry like stay and close your tab after things are uncomfortable and and whatever you can just leave um and alert the bartender so that they know you are on an internet meetup date so when the bartender asks you like for your drink order you can be like tinder am i right (laughs) LOL, you know, so that they know, oh, this person is on like an online date. So anyway, uh, yeah, thank you. you. Uh, So now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So this is kind of crime, people of color, women, all mixed into one. It's the show called Good Girls on NBC. Do you watch it? I've watched some of it. I haven't. I'm not caught up on it, though. Fucking love this show. I binged the first two seasons in a weekend and now I'm like oh my so gosh. glad. Wow. Back on NBC. <laughs> um, but basically what happens is these three suburban moms get tired of trying to make ends meet and they decide it's time to stick up for themselves by robbing a local go- grocery store. But when the manager captures a glimpse, glimpse of one of them and the loot is far more than they expected, it doesn't take long for these three best friends to realize the perfect getaway will be harder than they think. And the cast includes Christina Hendricks. She's that um, redhead white lady with the huge boobs from Mad, Mad Men. Um, <laughs> Retta, who uh, she was on Parks and Rec. Oh, uh, yeah, I love her. Treat yourself. (laughs) She's the very, very funny (laughs) black lady. Uh, and she's very funny in this show. And uh, Mae Whitman from the show Parenthood. And it's funny. It's sad. It's dramatic. It's suspenseful. It's got a great diverse cast of really strong women. And it is just so, so good. And you can binge the first two episodes on Netflix or the first two seasons on Netflix. And the third season is airing on NBC right now as we speak. Go watch it. It's good. All it's right. Really good. Cool. Uh, So my uh, recommendation this week is uh, the book, The Killer Across the Table by John Douglas and Mark Olshecker. You mean your boyfriend, John Douglas? My boyfriend, John Douglas. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously. John Douglas is my boyfriend. (laughs) I've talked about John Douglas before. He's the OG of FBI (laughs) profilers. And you sleep with him every night, right? That's right. I got you a pillow for your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I have a pillow with John Douglas on it. You can get your own John Douglas pillow in our merch shop. We also have Preet Bharara in there. Hello. <laughs> so you can sleep with either, wow, either wow. one of them or <laughs> both. <laughs> Ooh, now you're getting real frisky. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the t- TV series Mindhunter is based on uh, the book of the same name uh, by John Douglas, and the character of Holden Ford is based on him. And I listened to the audiobook of The Killer Across the Table, which is actually narrated by the actor who portrays Holden Ford on Mindhunter. His name is Jonathan Groff. <laughs> And, oh, uh, he's also in Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. He plays the king. The king George, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's really sweet. good. Yeah, he's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the book is really good, uh, but in particular, the last two chapters called Nature and Nurture and A Killer's Choice. Uh, He talks about the kinds of things that I'm super interested in, the psychology of serial killers, stuff like that. And in the last chapter, he talks about the DC snipers 
who we covered in season two, episodes 20 and 21, and Charles Ng, who we covered in season two, episode eight. And at the very end of the audiobook, Jonathan Groff interviews John Douglas, and it's really fascinating. Whoa, so that's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Thank if, you. Yeah, if you have Audible, it's available on there. Ooh, okay. Um, I'd also check with your local library. Uh, oh, if yeah, you want to yeah. Find it for free. Good idea. Also, uh, well, oh, I'm so sad. It's the end of the mm-hmm. episode. But <laughs> in the meantime, we are on the internets, right, Beth? So where we can the people are. find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum on no minimum no No. what was that (laughs) no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help we also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com merch where you can get your john douglas and preet barara pillows that's right (laughs) we've arrived (laughs) so Do you hear that, Mom? Anyway, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.
take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.